0: The Incomparable, number 534, October 2020.
1: Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I'm your host, Jason Snell. This episode, we're going to try something a little different, hopefully the start of a new recurring series here in The Incomparable. It's Shakespeare- Or something we'll forget about immediately. <laughs> or this episode is only a bootleg. Hello, bootleg. Yeah. <laughs> it's Shakespeare Club, <laughs> where we are going to take probably mostly a movie, but maybe other things, uh, and people can watch other adaptations if they choose. They can read uh, the the text of the play if they like to. But the assignment for this episode was Henry V, and the nineteen eighty nine Kenneth Branagh version. And uh, also, yes, you could also go back to the you know the classic fifteen ninety nine William Shakespeare version if you'd like to. But uh, uh, joining me to talk about. Henry the V, you don't need to have seen the first four Henrys, are the following people <laughs> David J. Lore, hello.
2: What ho, God and his angels, God your sacred microphone and make you long podcast, Jason. Thank you.
1: Thank you very much.
3: Moises Chuyun also joins us. From this day to the ending of the world But we in it shall be remembered We few, we happy few We band of podcast brothers oh. I, I think it's appropriate that an all-male cast uh, is, is, uh, is doing this play As did uh, all of the companies of actors yes. In Shakespeare's
1: time It, it turns out uh, Scott's going to play all the girl parts Hi, Scott
4: McNulty I, I was worried people would sound pretentious On Shakespeare Club Nope No <laughs> No and uh, Philip Michaels also
1: joins us. Cowabunga, dude. <laughs>
4: ah, there you go.
1: <laughs> is this a running gag I see before me? Mm. All right, so uh, so my son was Henry V. Uh, Got to start somewhere. Yep. I'll, and I, this is a, a very well-regarded uh, film adaptation. It's Kenneth Branagh's first movie. He went on to direct such films as Thor.
0: <laughs> yep,
1: <laughs> Artemis Fowl, classics
0: all. Yes,
1: <laughs> yes. But
2: but this has a hundred percent rating on Rotten Tomatoes.
1: So um, mm-hmm. I I did pull out my uh, my complete works of Shakespeare paperback uh, tome that I bought at the Globe Theater in the year two thousand on my first trip to London um, and read most of Henry V in the text too. Which you was kind of fun.
4: Of I did some reading.
0: Yeah, you get to you get to see what got cut.
4: <laughs> you do. Yeah, that's true. A lot, and what got and added? Added mm, yeah. Kenneth Branagh. Yeah,
1: I, I kind of like the idea that this is. I mean, we're we live in an age of franchises. If you you know, this is part of a series of connected plays with these characters, and there's definitely a school of thought that you know, if you follow the uh, the series through and the audience follows the series through uh where you've got the what richard the second and the two henry the fourths and then this one and there's also falstaff is in a different one too right well that's that's kind of an offshoot
0: mm-hmm. spin-off it's your Journey loves chachi of of uh shakespeare <laughs> that is your that is your queen saying to shakespeare hey falstaff would be good in his own play and Shakespeare going. <laughs> she literally damn, wanted. Damn she
2: just wanted to see Falstaff and in Shakespeare
0: love. going. Yeah, I don't really think that's good, but I'll do it.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Jason, I have, I have something of a, of a dramaturgical and, opening statement regarding the chronology of this play and the other plays because there's there's some there's some way to debate whether this is uh, part of a trilogy of Henry plays, a six part of Henry plays, or a Falstaff connected universe, and yes. you could honestly PFCU. see it in any of the three ways. Um, when when you go back to the accepted chronology of when what got written, the Henry the Sixth plays that make up the Wars of the Roses were Shakespeare's first three plays. And without getting into debate about who wrote what, um, if anything, uh, this is a case of a hotshot writer circling back to conclude his epic saga. Oh, these are the prequels. Prequels. Many oh, years girls. after delivering an original trilogy about the fall of a despotic empire and its ruler. So if you think about it and it's Star Wars without the laser swords and wizards.
0: Also it would be it would be Star Wars if the first three movies were not very good.
2: <laughs> well and, and when you just to jump to the end for something that doesn't really spoil anything, that's why at the end he says, Oh, by the way, and this this ends up with Henry the Sixth and you've right. already seen those plays. Yeah.
1: I did discover while I was reading about the various the linking of the plays, which I didn't know about, um I discovered I was thinking to myself, "Oh, well there's a real opportunity there. You could actually like do a series of them like a TV series that's the that's the Shakespeare's Kings. It's oh, like, oh, yes. it's called The Hollow Crown." It's
3: called The Hollow Crown. Yeah.
0: And it
1: and it they, was They made
0: it. Congratulations, Jason. You've invented The Hollow Crown. I've
3: discovered a thing that was made 8 years ago. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh-huh. And is very good. The thing I think is it's amazing great. about The Hollow Crown is that the the, the they decided to do um, the uh the the first uh the first chunk of them and it was apparently you know they they dug up some BBC couch cushion money uh thanks to the twenty twelve Olympics and then it ended up being so successful that they were able to go on and do the War of the Roses and cast Benedict Cumberbatch as Richard the Third and Jim Sturge as Henry the Sixth and um yeah the the Hollow Crown is phenomenal and fantastic and I recommend it to everybody uh even though one could say that that is an order to see the stories, but because of when they were published, even Henry the sixth, they did Henry the sixth part. Uh, originally part two was part one and part three was part two. And they went back and wrote a third play as a prequel to the first two because they were successful.
1: We have, we have unlocked a new level of nerdery on the incomparable an, now.
0: Yeah.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, you have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> so, Why? Well, I, I was, I was going to say this, this version of Henry V is one of the most incomparable, friendly versions of Shakespeare you can have, because in this movie, you have Bilbo Baggins, you have Hagrid, you have Prince Voltan from Flash. Batman Board. as Robin. You, you hang <laughs> hang on, hang on. I was getting to Batman as Robin. Uh, you have a master, and yes. you have James Bond's boss. Mm-hmm. And the director of Thor, <laughs> of course, you know. So I mean, you know, I can't, I can't think of any more. What more, what more do you like uh, incomparably?
1: If, if you're in the U S., it's on uh, Amazon Prime. So just you it should sure go, is. you should go watch it. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's good. And let's so, so the movie, it is the movie, very good. Uh, and and the play. One of the things that I find interesting about this, and you guys know more about Shakespeare than I do. Okay, I'm just going to say that right now. Um, the, no, 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 no! You have the. the book. I do. I did read. I, don't, I read I don't even it. Have it's not. A, it's really a play, David, not a book. But okay, I have
0: a book with <laughs> plays
1: in it. <laughs> <See>? <laughs> the first thing that I got yelled at in freshman in freshman English was, "Do we have to read this book?" It's not a book. It's a it's play. Oh, oh it's a script of a play. Technically, I guess. All right, oh, whatever. No. Um, what? I'm, so first off, what fascinates me about this is this movie is more than two hours long, and yet when you try to summarize. Or read the or read the the text of the play. Um, not a lot. There's not a lot that happens. There's there's a few scenes, right? Like, the, right. The, it's not. And in fact, the movie is long in part because one of the things Kenneth Branagh wants to do in the movie is show the fighting. Which you know, there's this character of the chorus who is Derek Jacobi, who which is I find really amusing in the in the text of the of the play that it's literally like, hey, we're going to show you globe trotting uh ocean spanning yeah. wars yeah we uh, got no budget just, here just think about, about, it.
0: about that opening monologue
1: imagine um, if you
4: will it,
0: it it is stirring when it's delivered by derek Jacobi, and it's clever that he's doing the the speech and you can see the the lights that you use in movies and the panasonic uh the right. this movie <laughs> and, if,
1: and this is spinal tap start the same it, way essentially
0: it, <laughs> it's very clever and yet that speech is basically here's how plays work we, we're going to we're going to pretend for a couple hours and uh this guy is not actually Henry V no. he's been dead many years what and and they, well they that, that's the first then.
1: one but he comes back later and he's like now we're going to go across the ocean but we're all still in the same location yeah. so don't get confused well that, yeah that's the thing yeah.
2: that cracks me up is that they don't really change a lot of that in this nope. and and yet you know we start off in this film studio but he's saying oh we're on a stage we're in this one place and then He's off in different places yes. through the whole movie, but it's really he—he he comes off. It's almost like watching David Macaulay's films of his books, Castle and Cathedral, and all that. He's dressed very much. He oh, he's like, like, like David a BBC McCauley. presenter
1: explaining that you're on your the next location. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a delightful documentary,
0: <laughs> but I yep. love it. You know what? You you put on a coat like that, you can say just about anything yeah. you
1: want. Yeah, but so my my larger. My larger point was that um, one of the reasons this movie is more than two hours long is because one of the things Kenneth Branagh wants to do is he, he says, essentially, this is a movie about war. It's about a king pressing a war, uh, knowing the consequences, but also kind of dealing with the consequences to a certain extent and, and understanding the cost of war and talking to the soldiers about it. Right. I, I mean... I and that's one of the dichotomies that's fascinating is he is both like down with the people but also he's saying tell me what you think of the king which is <laughs> kind of funny but <laughs> Brana shows the war and and in fact uh it goes on a, a long time <laughs> but i do appreciate the idea of saying you know th- that in in uh in the theater this is going to be a kind of a perfunctory like uh the actors will all have their swords and run around or whatever. And he has a budget enough that he can have horses and arrows flying and people dying and, and in the mud and all of that. And he can actually show the horror of the war instead of having it by, be kind of antiseptically in between scenes. And, but that does make the movie run, I think a lot longer than the script runs.
0: If uh, I, I can be allowed my dramatological. oh uh, yes, monologue. please. Um, Henry V always seems to be popular or pop up in pop culture just about the time that, we, uh, that we're going to war, about to go to war in the middle of a war. There's the Laurence Olivier version that was filmed smack dab in the middle of World War II. And that is basically, yay, England, let's go England, hey! <laughs>
3: Let's Here, go yeah. destroy Here, France. Here's uh, a guy uh, conquering
0: France. We should do that because there's there's a bad guy there, um, not the Dauphin, a worse guy. And uh, this, <laughs> th- this this film version is sort of being done uh, end of the Cold War, end of the Thatcher era. It just so happened that they that they weirdly presciently timed it just before the the first gulf war um which uh uh i i seem to recall it being a a popular uh viewing around that time when it's come on boys we're gonna go to that thing now that'll be the last we hear of iraq um (laughs) anyhow it's just it always fascinates me um and that that this pops up in those contexts and uh really kind of clearly calls out that this history, more than any of the other history Shakespeare did, really a propaganda play. Kind of really is, a, yeah. Really a play about, hey, you know who's cool? Henry V. And you know who's even cooler? People who descended from Henry V. Am I right, (laughs) Queenie? It's
3: it's an interesting series of nested themes where it's celebrated, including the speeches which are quoted and often misquoted and miscontextualized, Mm -hmm. as this sort of booster for British nationalism. And they are really this great contradiction of great man theory that he slipped into Tudor worship, which is what allowed him to get it on the stage. Um, you know, they're, they're incredibly, there are all sorts of arguments that um, far more insufferable people than me, believe it or not, yes, they exist have had about about what he really means with this and what he really means at the Kings plays. But I see, you know, this instance of starting on episode four or five or whatever of an eight part saga um, it stands alone so well because uh, not because it it reflects these themes necessarily radically better than parts of, of uh, Henry the sixth or Richard the third or Henry the fourth parts one or two. It's that it, it, it is easiest to do as a standalone one-off thing. And part of the brilliance to me of what Brana did here is that rather than find things to cut, he found things to further accentuate by bringing in a little bit of Henry the fourth part two uh, by way of a flashback. Um, and it's it's something that you you see there there are so many cool greatest hits throughout these different kings plays that different people have found different ways to try to combine. Orson Welles did it with Chimes at Midnight, which is uh, absolutely fantastic and and a testament to um, all of the people, myself included, who think that Falstaff is one of the greatest things that Shakespeare came up with. Um, but the thing that I find the most fascinating about various interpretations of Henry V is. Just looking at the St. Crispin's day speech uh, or any individual moment of it, it has these iconic moments that everybody has to figure out and put their stamp on. I would say arguably to the same extent as individual actors feel like they have to put their stamp on Hamlet. They have to do their Hamlet. Um, We've had Olivier uh, play this part. We've had Brana play this part. Hiddleston played the part in hollow crown on Netflix. uh, There's a movie called the King uh, with Timothy Chalamet, As uh, as Henry V Uh, and it it doesn't use the verse it uses the story and arc of Henry IV one and two and Henry V and does it you know through the through the lens of the uh, the gritty Australian writer director who who came up with the animal kingdom Um, and I I think I think it is especially interesting uh, considering that this was basically the reason they were doing the hollow crown around the time of the Olympics is that there is this sort of national pride attached to it, uh, celebrating British imperialism and not getting that that's not what he was getting at. Uh, it's almost like people uh, interpreting Bible verses at this point, the way that people uh, choose to interpret or misinterpret, if you ask me, Henry V. Um, and uh, I don't know, it, It's it, it is, th- this is this is a, a part that I very nearly played, Uh, in addition to playing Prince Hal in four uh, parts one and two. So I have, um, I doing this prep for this episode was uh, it brought a lot of things back um, and, and a lot of long, uh, long, long, long uh, uh, study nights of digging through this stuff. Um, And the most beautiful thing that the Brownie movie does to me is encapsulate what Shakespeare was getting at to me in all of, his king's plays, even the mostly forgettable Henry VIII, um, that, that there is something rotten in, uh, you know, at the core of this whole concept. And maybe, maybe uh, having a king decide, uh, you know what, I do, I do own a claim to the throne of France. So why don't we just focus literally everything on invading France and taking over France? That's probably more important than uh, taking care of the actual citizenry of this country. Um, and that, that's, uh, that is, that is my Henry talk. Speaking of Chimes
2: of Midnight, one of my favorite productions we did out here at the college, uh, about 16 years ago. And I know that because I can literally reach over and touch the poster. It's, I loved doing the poster for this. Uh, one of the English professors here took the Falstaff scenes from all the plays and sort of put them together and retold it as Falstaff telling his story and the story of his relationship with Hal while at the tavern and all the tavern members, all the tavern patrons play the different parts as needed. And uh, it, it, it's kind of interesting to see peasants and, you know, all these, all these people just going, yes, well, I'm, I'm the king now. Yes, yes. (laughs) Ha 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 ha. And it was, it was a fun contrast in the midst of doing all the Falstaff material that wasn't in, Merry Wives. And uh, oh, it's just a delightful show.
1: So what do you all think about the this idea? Like I I agree that the it definitely reads on one level as being a piece of, of sort of Yay England propaganda, or at least carted out as that. But one of the things that fascinates me about it is the fact that Henry Goes among the soldiers, Mm -hmm. and that we see the the battles. And I don't know. So many stories are about the leaders decreeing that there's going to be a war, but are not about the people who have to fight and die in them. And the fact that yes, he gives a rousing speech and he gets everybody on his spot side. That is sort of part of leadership. Like uh, the the question there is like, why would people fight and die for this king? and this play tries to give you at least some idea of why they would be so motivated to to do that but also i just appreciate that they exist that the the soldiers exist as some actual recognizable characters and that you feel the loss of them after they die in a way that i feel like other works of fiction often can shy away from right we just were focused on the kings and the leaders and then they send the people out to die and and we don't see that and and by by him going and giving his speech to his men, and and by him going in the cloak and pretending to be a, a friend, I'm Henry Leroy. Right, like okay, yeah, um, yeah, no one saw through that. I don't know. I mean, is that is that a, a valid it, no, read on it, it?
0: it? It's a good point because a lot of the histories, um, or at least the 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 very. Chronologically early ones, you're Henry the Sixth, you're Richard the Thirds, you're uh, 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 Richard the Seconds. They tend to be about the, you know, the Dukes and uh, maybe a knight or two, but it's very much the, the, uh, um, uh, the hoi polloi, where the the, the, uh, the upper crust. Whereas, uh, what once you start getting into Henry the Fourth and Henry the Fifth, um, you 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 get the uh, the foot soldiers. Uh, get more of a say in things and, and intermingle. And yeah, to a certain extent, Bardolph and Pistol and Nim, they're there for comic relief, but there there are other people. You got your... Flewellyn. Yeah, Flewellyn. Also the there for Welshman. comic relief, quite <laughs> frankly, because, yeah. oh, those Welsh people talk funny. They like leeks. <laughs> um, but, you know, but... Uh, and uh, you, you make it... You, you pit them with an Irish captain and a, and a Scotch uh, captain, so... Uh, but yes, uh, Jason, to your point, uh, I do think that there, there is a lot of the, the common touch there. And that's why you have that big, uh, almost, um, uh, almost slows down the pace of the play uh, sequence where he's wandering about the camp right before the battle. And you're all, I'd like to get to the battle, please. The battle is very <laughs> exciting. And now I'm, I got to go talk to the troops and uh, perhaps get a little insight. Into a fella, they call Henry. You do
2: get that nice scene around the campfire with Williams, who is the one who's given him pushback, and he's like, "What is what does this king give give a flying fig about us? You know why should I give for him? You know what if I get killed for this guy? And and Henry Henry is listening, but he's also defending himself to the point where Williams takes off his glove and says, "All right, if we survive this, I challenge you smack." And Henry keeps the glove so that after the battle is won, he says, oh, by the way, here's your glove. And Williams is like, what the hell?
4: <laughs> yep. Well, but he you skipped over a part where he gives it to someone else and says, if someone approaches you, yes. uh, you should beat them up. <laughs> <laughs> So he's he's, oh, he's he a is. jerk and he does go about the common people, but then he, he whacks eloquently about how he is amongst them, but he's not of them because he is better right. than they are mm-hmm. and well, they are doing his will, right? So he,
3: let's let's not go too easy
4: on Henry yeah, here. He
3: had he had this past life among right. the common people when he was a drunken carousing uh, you know reluctant heir to the throne in fact it just did not want the throne and just wanted to pal around with staff. you know the the drunk comic it was it was his wilderness years it was his gap years <laughs> and Yon. he's he's trying to leverage the fact that yeah that used to be me and that's still me i'm still your guy i'm still your dude out in these streets i and just have really nice hair
2: and and my outfit gets cleaned between <laughs> but, the scenes but, and yeah.
4: It's, it's one of those things where he is, he's kind of, he's slumming it, and he always was, even in those earlier plays. Like, he, he knows he is uh, a station above these people. Uh, but he's trying to escape his responsibilities because he's never really—that's his whole thing, right? Is he doesn't want this responsibility, so he's going to pretend he is uh, a commoner and you know pal around with Falstaff and then kind of ignore Falstaff later. And he dies. he gets poochied in this, right? He goes back to his planet and never yeah. heard from yep. again. Uh, <laughs> so you know, Henry has always been one of these characters that uh, in Shakespeare's plays that I find quite um, annoying. Yes. I mean, oh, I yeah. like the plays; the <laughs> his intriguing. whole arc is great, but he is a, a, an annoying.
1: Character. Well, that, that's sort of what I've been. To- by saying that, you know, he goes among the 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 soldiers, and I appreciate that because we get to see the soldiers. But when he's there, there is a lot of now. Let's talk about how great the king mm-hmm. is, right? <laughs> like, right. And yeah, then, aren't, aren't kings great? Huh? And he's and he's yeah, like, huh, huh? You're you gonna like this king, and and that's the that I think that's a fascinating kind of dichotomy. That it, it, it's like I want to get down to your level um, to hear how good I am, which is like, oh, <laughs> but you just missed it. But at the same time, I mean, he does. The fact is, he is making this decision that is going to kill a lot of these people um, because, you know, he wants to have a war in France and because he's mad and because the Archbishop of Canterbury wants to distract him with a shiny object, as the first scene shows us, so that uh, he doesn't get focused on the uh, taxes that, that the church owes him or was parliament and so you know i i find that fascinating because he's like going through the motions of being like a really good guy but if you take a step back you're like
4: hmm, no yeah. like no no he's not good and then no. one of the the parts that brano does omit from the movie um i read the play well i've read the place a lot <laughs> oh. a few times uh and before Welcome, th- i watched the movie i've never seen the the movie before um so, uh, but he admits, you know, Henry the Fifth at a point says, "Okay, let's just kill all our French prisoners," yeah. <laughs> um, which uh, is not in the movie.
3: <laughs> yeah, it makes him makes him a little less sympathetic, you think? Yeah, and, and choices like that, uh, for me, undercut so many of the things that I like so much about <laughs> this movie because it's like, oh, but I'm playing the part, and I'd kind of like to revise history and make him a little mm-hmm. bit of a cooler dude than he was because if let's be fair. He, you know, he was a pretty cool he, he, he dude, right? Plays
0: there is also a scene. Oh, I, oh,
2: I was go just ahead. gonna say he, he plays him like a rock star, right? He is an
0: Elizabethan rock oh, yeah. star. A lot of dramatic entrances. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Harfleur, <laughs> rock and roll. No, I, uh, but they, they actually, um, um, the, the bit that I like that they cut is in the, um, from the opening uh council scene where they've decided to go oh. to war with France. And then there's this whole long uh, speech in the bit in the play where they're all okay we're gonna war with France what do we do about those miserable Scotland people <laughs> right. they are gonna they are gonna sneak across the border while we're gone and and do terrible things the actual line is for for once the eagle England being in prey to her unguarded nest the weasel Scott comes sneaking and so <laughs> sucks her princely eggs I mean that is that is anti-scott propaganda that's, that's him frankly. kissing up and, to his
2: patron who has uh, uh-huh. imprisoned her sister yeah, yeah. in Scotland?
0: And and it's and this is actually I think this is the section that coined the phrase uh, when the mouse is away the cat's mm-hmm. the cat when the the cat's away the mice will play mm-hmm. is uh, oh. is mm. another segment of that uh, uh, that exchange. So it's it's just yeah we're going to drop that if uh, from from every version <laughs> of Henry V because we we don't want people thinking that Scotland is not part of England <laughs> or Great Britain. Or the United Kingdom. We're a very United Kingdom. Scots are measles. One one
2: thing that I did have a problem with in this film, though, is how perfectly English everyone in France is, except for Emma Thompson and her nurse. Everyone else has perfect English diction and understands English because they're saying Shakespeare. And I mean, I I just kept watching it, like when when he's at Harfleur and and he's telling them that you will surrender and you know what, and he you know he's doing this whole speech and then he yells, "What say you?" And I just went, "Je ne parle l'anglais?
0: Well, that that's a conceit of the theater. Yes, isn't it? I just I just thought that would be funny if you know he he keeps know, he keeps bloviating yeah, yeah, and they don't know what he saying. In Beckett, you have John Gilgood as uh, King Louis. Yeah. and he, John Gilgood is not French. No, God. Come now. Yeah.
3: You know, you know, you know who who's funny and talks weird? Foreigners, gosh, those dang foreigners.
0: Well, that that happened. Yes, that's a very um. <laughs> when whenever a French person shows up in a Shakespeare play, that's your comic relief because they they How talk funny. How do you say
2: fingers?
0: <laughs> fingers. <laughs>
1: Chin.
0: Yeah, what
1: is the story? I like. Okay, so we get that scene. Delbo. 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 Terrible. And then, and then we get the in Act Five at the end of the movie, we get the we get the scene where it, it, it really it's sort of like okay, well there here's this French lady, um, whatever. <laughs> and then at the end of the movie, it's her and Henry V. and it's like, ah, uh, you don't understand a word I'm saying, but can't you see it? I love you, and I just <laughs> Tish, you, know, you know what it
2: does to me when you
1: say it, s- speak French. It's it's nice to see Emma Thompson. It's nice to have women briefly in the movie, um, but but it's also a little like creepy. the movie is over. The story
3: is no, you you really <laughs> could have ended the movie when yes.
0: with the, when they're walking through the field and reclaiming the dead and the the chorus swells.
3: You could have, but mm-hmm. what I find myself every time I see the movie, that scene starts and I go, oh yeah, the second ending begins now. And what ends up playing out for me is is the rejection of the kind of uh, noble love conquers all thing in the princess myth that's wrapped up in all those Disney princess movies. And it ends up even though I don't like, for example, that, you know, they, they cut the bit where Henry's like, hey, let's kill all of our French prisoners because uh, presumably it would make him uh, less uh, likable. Um, this is all about ramping up, no, 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 this is not a a story of uh, the God King Emperor follow the God King Emperor. Uh, this is this is this is not love. Like this is a, a contractual, um, uh, like uh, coming to of terms, not two people falling madly romantically in love. And Henry V Fifth came uh, came in those years after Romeo and Juliet, which was his big success that catapulted him to more successes. Uh, he went from that to Richard the Second, Midsummer, King John, Merchant of Venice, and then the Henrys and Much Ado About Nothing, and I think that there's a very specific uh, signpost here that, that this is no, 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 you, you want to think this guy is good. And maybe the St. Crispin's day speech won you over and have you completely on this guy's side, but there's something, there's something not so great here. And and then of course we have the chorus come in at the end and go. So yeah, basically all that stuff that Henry did is uh, his son uh, got it undid yep. and, all of this led to loads of disaster. So, so yeah, what was it worth it, bro? And he, um, and he dies in two years after this. He dies, he dies two years later. So, Literally. you know, <laughs> you just saw most of the, the biggest stuff. So, uh, you don't need to tune in for next week's installment of the young Henry Chronicles. Young Henry Chronicles is, uh, is that another TV show that I missed? <laughs>
1: like the hollow crown, the young Henry Chronicles, they're all, uh, I think the young Indiana Jones. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Right it's it, we learn where Henry got the scar on his uh on his called cheek. the dog in diarrhea. Right. Mm. Anyway, yes, uh,
3: it's nice to see Emma Thompson but
0: mm.
1: <laughs> yeah.
3: Well, yeah, I could yeah. they've shaved it down, sure. sure. Mm. Uh but but I don't think I don't think you can lift that entirely out of it and still be still be doing everything that they're trying the to do. Profession the profession
1: of, the of the love morning. is just it's dumb. It's dumb because
3: you but,
2: no, but you There's you, no you, do basis for it you need to see his hypocrisy you do need to see that oh he actually isn't the saint crispin's day guy right he's he's got good pr he can play the role he's the music man right and now he can't do the music man thing on the woman who can't understand a word he's saying Mm. you know and and he bobbles he can't he can't quite pull it off until everyone comes back in and then the king just goes yeah yeah you guys get married yeah done
3: Done. You know what uh, something I wanted to bring it around to is this whole uh, perception of him doesn't work had they not brought Falstaff as played by Robbie Coltrane as Orson Wells in this. yes. Um, that like that as a framing device is what makes any of this stuff make sense. And um what made it in nineteen eighty nine, what was considered one of the most approachable cinematic Shakespeare adaptations, uh, where I I think there was, there was no small amount of doubt as to whether Brano could actually pull it off. Um, and this movie being so successful launched various people's careers into yet more directions where Brano was, was not, he was not a known quantity as a director, uh, as you know, as a, as a name. And this, Opened things up for him. And I mean, yeah, I mean Robbie was, Coltrane and he, Emma Thompson had recently been doing, you know, sketch comedy shows on the BBC. Um, and th- like th- this is an amazing turning point of so many of these different careers. Um, and uh, as, as much flack as I personally, uh, I, I feel deservedly give Brana for various choices he's, <laughs> he's made, um, creatively. Uh, it is, it is astonishing to me that this got made and, and there wasn't some sort of a big fight with MGM as to how to cut the movie, as far as I know, and and we just got this movie the way that it is, and and it it was allowed to escape, um, because even even then, um, I mean, this is the area of era of movies like Brazil, where, you know, a movie executive could go, I don't I don't get this. I'd like to cut it into something unrecognizable. Uh, to me, it's it's kind of a miracle. That this movie exists, even though I've got nitpicks here and there with it. Oh, yeah. I mean, at, at the time,
2: he was mostly known for theater and the occasional TV part. And to to say, hey, I can do this, and I'm going to star in it and direct it. And yeah, I know that's what Olivier did, but I'm going to do it differently. That was That was a big leap of faith,
1: but... So so Scott you hadn't seen this movie before how did you how did you read it as a movie how did it how did it hit you
4: So that's an interesting question uh because I am one of the things for Shakespeare at least for me my experience of Shakespeare is very much reading Shakespeare right so uh which is uh, not of course the way it's intended to be um, but I was, uh, an English major, so I spent a lot of time reading, uh, I have in front of me, my, my Riverside Shakespeare, uh, second uh, edition, that is the, his collected works. And that's what I read. Well, I read half of it on my iPad, which was a less satisfying experience. So I went to find this to read it. Um, see now I'm sounding pretentious. Uh, and so, uh, I'll say something about my first folio collection
3: and, and now you're, you're <laughs> back uh, among the realm of mortals. <laughs>
4: excellent thank you i did look up on amazon uh this uh riverside shakespeare they charge 130 dollars for don't buy it buy uh you can get the place for free people anyway uh so i uh i really enjoy reading shakespeare um and just kind of you know uh uh, wallowing in his words um and so to watch it um my second preference uh, for shakespeare is to watch it live uh performed in in a theater um which uh, who knows when we'll do that again so my third preference is uh movies right so uh and henry v is the movie that we watched and then when i'm always concerned when i'm watching a production of shakespeare as to the interpretation because you can i generally think that they fall into two buckets right they're either way too literal and try to you know put on you know lots of uh, historical uh, costumes and and set dressing and all kinds of stuff to make it this luscious uh, experience uh, when you know we re- we're really here to see the performances and hear the words of Shakespeare. Uh, or they say, why don't we, uh, how about uh, Henry V? They're all dogs and uh, <laughs> the French people are cats and it'll be great. Um, and so that's my long-winded way of saying that. Kenneth Branagh, I think, made a series of very good decisions about the production of the movie, um, because I think he got, uh, there are no uh, dog people in it, so that's good. Uh, (laughs) You can put that on the box.
0: (laughs) That's always what I look for. Uh,
4: But I thought it was really good. I mean, obviously, there are lots of great actors. There's a baby Christian Bale in it, which uh, I didn't recognize. He
2: is so method, he became a boy for this. Mm.
4: (laughs) It's, I mean,
2: that's just amazing. It's pretty impressive. Yeah.
4: Uh, but I so I read the play first and then I watched the movie, yeah. Um, and um, I, di- I wasn't disappointed by the movie, uh, and I thought that it was uh, a good representation. I was kind of annoyed by some of the things that were left out, but uh, and I don't know, having read the play, I was annoyed about the Falstaff flashbacks only because. I feel like if you're watching a Shakespeare movie, you should know who Falstaff is, but that is, uh, I think, I think you're, you raising
0: the bar. It, yeah. 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 I, I think you have is, to listen to their
3: first three albums before you can listen to their new one. <laughs>
0: what, 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 uh, what did they leave out that annoyed you? Uh,
4: the, the, the murdering of the French prisoners was <laughs> well, a, a big okay, thing that sure. annoyed me. Um, and I can't, I can't remember any other specific things that annoyed me. Um, other than the false staff thing but like i said i was going to say before everyone shouted me down uh, (laughs) it was even though it annoyed me i think it was the right choice to do because it makes a lot of things make sense in the movie and makes it its own thing and stand on its own so um while it annoyed me it's still the right thing to do um so overall i say good job kenneth Brono. uh just just don't do hamlet whatever you do kenneth don't uh, do hamlet oh got some
0: bad news for you i
4: i when we get to hamlet I
2: have
3: a theory about that, but I'll save it for the podcast. <laughs> um, yeah, I feel like Hamlet might might need to be a four-act uh, venture. We're going to do every there. line of
2: the podcast about Hamlet. Interesting. <laughs> anyway, no, the one of the lines that he interpolates here is when, when Bardolph is captured looting a church and they're going to hang him and it flashes back to Again, you know, drinking with Falstaff and Bardolph and all their friends and their
0: buddies and hey, you know,
2: and and then, you, you know, you see the pain on Henry's face as as they're going through this. And Bardolf has the line, do not when thou art king hang a thief. And and that is that's actually a Falstaff line, but he throws it to Bardolph to to emphasize that. And, and you know, again, I thought that was OK. I thought that was fun. Um, I didn't. I didn't really mind the interpolations. Um, I, I know people who came into this as having no idea what you know. This is a play with Kenneth Branagh. I like Kenneth Branagh, and so then they watch and they don't know Falstaff. They don't know Henry V. They don't know any of the history. They just see it as a cool movie, and I've. I've gone to so many shakespeare plays and i've gone with so many people who are seeing it for the first time and i've seen good ones i've seen bad ones and one of the hallmarks of a good production is that the director understands all the words but that the actors understand what they're saying because if they if they're just saying sounds that they have memorized oh yeah you can't make heads or tails out of what's going on it's and mm, if and if they know what they're saying it doesn't matter if you don't quite understand it or if the language is just complex enough. You can follow the story without any problem. That's right. It's kind of amazing. I mean, I've seen this. I, I showed this one to the boys a, a while back, and they were like, that was a pretty cool story.
1: I mean, this movie, when it came out in 1989, my my recollection of this is that this was not only, you know, a bunch of Oscar nominations but like people saw it if if not in the theater then then they saw it on home video after it got all the Oscar nominations like I, I think it's made well okay whether however it was made i think one of the things that it has going for it is that you can watch it knowing nothing about uh mm-hmm. Shakespeare and yep. knowing nothing about these stories and knowing nothing about that as an american especially knowing nothing about the history and i think that it does work on that level which is great because i mean i you could make an argument that there's a Shakespeare movie to be made that really is only for the most exclusive club. But I never like I never like that approach when you want to be welcoming and you want to have it make sense for for whomever. And that's why the Falstaff no. flashback is, is OK. Right. It's because it's like you may not know what the deal is with this guy. So and they're sad that he died. Well, who is he? OK, here's who he is. OK, got it. Got it. Like that's that's good enough. I do think it works on that level if you don't know anything in the background.
3: Something that we've come back around to a number of times now in various little asides, how Shakespearean of us is the notion of pretentiousness and and pretense and uh, you know uh, elitism and that sort of thing. And Shakespeare's plays, yeah, they were uh, f- they were financed uh, by and uh, done with the grace of the ruling class, but they were made for the audiences of common people. And one of the things and. Here we go. This is, you know, this is me to quote 1776 being obnoxious and disliked. As a Shakespearean actor myself, one of the most infuriating things to me is when I'm either in a production or watching a production where people, people have visibly been cast either by a director who doesn't understand the text, which is uh, as, as, uh, as someone said, the first prerequisite who, you know, if, if the director doesn't get it and is casting stuff because that guy looks like a Romeo type or that guy looks like a Tybalt type, um, you know, because, you know, you resemble John Leguizamo more than, you know, this other guy uh, resembles Leonardo DiCaprio or whatever. And, um, that that kind of thing drives me off the wall. But the thing that I like about the changes and where for me it totally earns them is that, as Jason said, it makes it so that you can go into this movie not knowing anything Shakespeare. This could be your first Shakespeare, yep. anything that you've seen. You don't
1: have to see Henry uh, one through four. It's nope, fine. It's nope, very you know, welcoming. Just, just the fifth one.
3: Uh, Lenny Henry recently, uh, you know, guest starred on doctor who and has been, it's doing Lenny a lot Henry more. Yeah. Lenny Henry, Lenny Henry has been, you know, he's been known as like, you know, uh, your, your, uh, your journeyman comedian <laughs> and in recent years has gone into doing more serious stuff. And one of the things that intimidated him for the longest time was doing Shakespeare because he didn't think that he could do the language and it took going back to school and uh, you know, pulling a Scott and, and looking at the text and realizing, Oh, Oh, okay. It's it's heightened. It's different. It's poetic. It's verse, but it, it th- there is something there is something different about it in performance. And this movie opening up the notion of uh, of you know taking the shackles of elitism off of Shakespeare for a whole generation of people at the time, and I think generations uh, that that would come later, thanks to this movie going. Yeah, Shakespeare is not just. Laurence Olivier right. speaking like this. Oh, noble right. duke. I blah, blah, right. blah, and, blah, And
1: honestly, Prince, you know, or now King Henry and his, he's young. And, you know, Bran. I, I mean, oh my God. I, I saw this holy, movie holy back Holy crap, then, is he young like, in he's this? He's so young. Like even I was, I watched Dead Again. I watched Dead Again, which is only two years later. And like in Dead Again, he looks like 10 years older than he looks here. This, he looks so young, but like, I think that's one of the things that does make it so accessible, right? It's like, here it is it is a young hero. He gives a lot of great speeches. And like, yeah, we can talk about the politics and think about all of that and the issues here about is it propaganda, is it warmongering, or is there another level to it? But like, in terms of accessibility and not, and like dusting off old old dusty Shakespeare to make it more interesting, like, he's charismatic, uh... Emma Thompson is charismatic, although I don't understand a word she's saying, except for Delbo. Uh, the, like, there are a lot of other interesting people in it. There is the battle; <laughs> the staging of all of that is is not boring. It's actually pretty interesting. The the way this is shot, some of those shots in the in the um in in the throne room, basically with it like dark edges and the bright centers and the doors opening and closing. Like, there's a lot here that is visually interesting that it, it, you know charismatic characters and, and I do think that for a generation of people this movie did dust off Shakespeare and make it seem yeah. more alive and that's great because that that is super important if you just read it as old boring du- dusty uh, pretentious oh, yeah. stuff it it's uh it's going to miss because it's not that but if, if it gets portrayed in that way if it gets presented in that way then you've you've lost a whole
3: generation of people I mean th- The battles alone have influenced 30 years of movies that have come since the Lord of the Rings cycle, uh, Kingdom of Heaven, of course, Game of Thrones, which, you know, you call it a TV show. It's whatever. It's serialized cinema. Um, Braveheart. Braveheart, uh, Yeah. Braveheart. The whole uh, the whole big stupid speech that never actually happened. They needed they needed a Scottish St. Crispin's Day speech. So Mm -hmm. they just they just made one up. Oh, man. Scottish. Oh, gosh.
1: Yeah. Scottish uh, uh, person I know, I knew at the time that Braveheart came out, this is not a Braveheart podcast, but he was just like, William Wallace, when Nehav said such a thing, he was so offended by How Braveheart. How English would that just, be? It's just made up, but you're right. It's it's the, it's the like, eh, Scottish fifth yeah. yeah, it totally is. Sure. It.
2: And I mean, I remember when I was in school... <laughs> every year we did a shakespeare play and every year we sat down and read the whole thing out loud in class and it was always like he that outlives this day and comes safe home will stand tiptoe when the day is named and then it'll be the next kid (laughs) and rouse him at the name of crispian and i mean there was no rhythm to it there was no interest in it. it was literally you were killing time for a week and a half
1: One of the great things about having a movie like this with all of these actors in it is that it puts down for people who would not otherwise get to see it, people who understand what the words are and speak them, and a director who understands what it means. And there are several points. I love the shot of of Canterbury and his... Uh, co-conspirator giving each other the yeah. eye as they walk out of the room yep. at the end of that mm. scene because like again in a in a play you can't really oh, do yeah, that can. but oh the yes camera, you can well, you, it's, it's, a, it's a lot harder because you have to draw right. people's eye to it whereas in the movie you just do right. it and like that's so delightful because yeah. that's somebody who knows the text who's like just underlining it and saying these guys are just like whoa we got now, away with it. and a good director like, a good director uh, in the theater
2: can make you look at what what they want you to which is yeah but it's amazing. it's a lot harder but it is and, you hard. and
3: you can't and you can't force them to look oh. I'll make, David's, I'll make David's point better than David just did. You couldn't do it that way in a radio play. You can't read <laughs> a you know sly look between two conspiring characters when you're just hearing it. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. So it's, it's that's, that's right. But it's it, the sound effect the director, of a cutting yeah. look. <laughs>
0: the director gets to help us along the way. Phil, yes. Yeah, I was just going to say what's interesting is the uh, Laurence Olivier version. That is that, that entire scene is done entirely for laughs the 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 Canterbury and yeah. the bishop and it's just oh, we're babbling on and on and they're doing pratfalls and and that part of the movie is actually filmed in the Globe set in the the Shakespeare's time and and so you have the audience going this is hilarious uh, this talk about Salic lands and it's oh it's, man. Yeah, no. oh man. No, yeah, I was oh, watching God. that Salak and I'm oh, I am not going to endure if this is the movie. The
1: Salic but... lands, that stuff is like literally, I, I was thinking about um, Exodus, Book of Exodus. Is it Exodus yeah. that is literally the
0: genealogy of a million? Uh, well, it's, it happens a lot. Every time, <laughs> every so often in the Bible, it's called, we've got to get into the begats. So let's talk about begats. Yeah, and it's who just like, who? oh my God,
1: I don't want to hear about the Salic line and how it was in Germany <laughs> and how it's not here and all that. No. <laughs>
0: Make it stop! No, but but in the Olivier version, they're dropping paper, and they're oh, my oh. God, I lost my place. And, can yeah. I ask? Can I ask yeah. about the
1: tennis balls? By the way, the tennis balls. <laughs> I I so I read I read it before I watched this it, is- and I got to the tennis balls thing, and I thought, okay. I mean, I already knew this because I've read other Shakespeare and I've seen other Shakespeare stuff. It's like, all right, Shakespeare, you got me, because it's like in a movie that does not have a lot of wacky jokes. It's that moment where you are like, what the hell? They, they, yeah. they the 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 is here. He has a he has a counter proposal for you, king. It's this gift. Oh, what is it?
0: Meter mm-hmm. for thy spirit.
1: Tennis <laughs>
3: balls? Yeah, what? it's it, it's like in 12th night when you get to the bit about yellow stockings cross-gartered, yeah. you're like, "What? Where is this?" Ca- huh? You know, and then there's there's some good jokes
1: including some, you know, dark jokes where he's like, "We'll play uh we will play in France <laughs> and uh and we'll take I, your balls. Yeah.
4: <laughs> All your people will be dead."
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's it's I don't know. I that was a that's actually a, a very funny moment uh, that is played okay well, in, but the, in the movie. Before
2: before we get too far away from Olivier, I just want to say Olivier's Henry IV, the whole thing is kind of interminable. And it it plays today like your imagined version of the most stereotypical, mockable Shakespeare production. It's just awful. And when I watched that, and and my mother said, don't watch his Hamlet. So then we watched his Hamlet, which is even worse. And I just, yeah, I, pretty I got to a point where I can't stand Laurence Olivier. I don't care what his reputation is. I, outside of Marathon Man, he's
0: terrible. Yeah, I was going to say, see the movies where he plays a Nazi yeah. or is fighting Nazis. That's pretty That's much Laurence Olivier show. Everything
2: Because no. even his King Lear, we watched his King Lear when that was broadcast. And it was, you know, uh, sort of taped on the stage for TV. And...
0: Well, it's very, it's of its it's time. It's it's of its time. Yeah, I was going to say. just, he doesn't
2: understand what the words are. He just says them.
0: I will say, the one thing I like about the um, Lawrence Olivier, Henry V, is they have him backstage about to walk on, do his entrance. He doesn't get the dramatic rock star walking down the hall (laughs) like, ladies and gentlemen, Henry V! That that kind of entrance. Instead, it's just... He's just this this very small actor guy, and at, just before he walks on, he does a little throat clear <clears> throat> and then he walks on that is nice, and, yes. it, and it's and it's it's very well done it's very well uh the the man becoming the moment kind of thing, but otherwise, otherwise it's all these fields of ashen <laughs> <laughs> now it's time to
1: talk about everybody's favorite most important character in all of Henry V. I speak of course, of the Dauphin. The Dauphin. Oh.
0: Let's talk about the Dauphin.
1: Oh yes,
0: he is the unsung hero <laughs> in Henry the <V> <laughs> And because you need a villain, you need a guy yeah. who I, where you you're, you're all. I hope that yes. guy dies. Yes,
1: yeah. and Charles <laughs> Charles the Sixth is is kind of a reasonable king. Yeah,
0: right. He's like, just, he's just a, yeah. He's got a point he's an of view. Guy. old yeah. du- guy. The 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 uh, Lord High Chamberlain or whoever that is. Yeah. He, he, you know, he he's serving his job. The Duke of Orleans is uh, doing his job, whereas the Dauphin, first off, it's his fault we're all in this thing. But I want to fight in fight. And, <laughs> the war. And and the subject of the pay. greatest insult in this play, I think that he will eat all that he kills. Yes, <laughs> yes.
2: I love all the side eye in that scene as he's. As he's raging and you're, oh, I'm cool, too. And they're all like,
0: you yeah, no,
4: no, yeah, you're
0: not. Yeah, no. sure you are, Sonny. It's uh, it's basically the Donald Trump Jr. Mm. of the Henry V world where, <laughs> where I mean, <laughs> you're just here because your dad is vaguely important. Now, King Charles
2: is, you know, he's Paul Schofield in this. He's he's kind of lovely. He's 21 years older than the real King Charles, but you have Paul Schofield. So use him.
1: Um. Yeah. Best
2: known for for playing um, Mark Van Doren in Quiz Show.
1: And wasn't wasn't King Charles actually like insane?
3: Yes, by the yeah. end. Well. Charles VI? Yeah. Charles the Sixth. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Well, uh, I like that was what was reported. Who knows what was. So real. here's
1: here's here's a character that I really like, and especially in the film, I think it's the way it's ha- he's handled this very well, which is Monjoy, mm-hmm. the uh, the Herald, where like <laughs> like mm. he. I love, first off, the job of Harold, and then Brian Blessed gets to do this, uh, too, where it's like you walk into the lair of the ruler of your enemy, and and it's like, well, you could kill me, but we're probably all okay, right? Because you got to send a message back. But Montjoy, the the impression I get is that, one, Montjoy, not impressed with the French, even though he's their Harold. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of more impressed with what's going on with England, and... Uh, and that they're kind of impressed with him. Like, you do a good job. You're a good herald. Like, way to go, Monjoy. Well, they and,
0: they're coll- they collapse his role, don't they? Because they're yeah. like assorted heralds, and they just said, "We're, we're having." No, so in a
1: this movie, ride. there's the one guy, and the, he keep, he keeps coming back. And and yeah. and Kenneth Branagh like, "Oh, this guy, I like this guy." And I just, I I'm delighted by the fact that there's sort of like an appreciation of the professionalism of the herald in the middle of this Although, movie. Now,
2: again, <laughs> that was one of those moments where he's like. Uh, I've come to ask if you will be ransomed, and what, what do you say? And then Henry goes off on this whole long rant, and I, and I just
3: imagine Macho going back and going, Oh, it's a nope. then.
4: <laughs> nope. <laughs> he said no. So uh, so Montjoy,
3: nope. <laughs> Montjoy, let me let me just tell you, man, we are moving fast and breaking things. And do you have an NDA because we're doing some uh, really cool stuff in England, and pretty soon France <laughs> is gonna be England. I, honestly, so I'm I, just saying. If you're moment, available, there is a moment late open-minded. in the movie
1: where I waited. I waited for them for him to offer Montjoy a job. Just like
0: come on, <laughs> it's like yeah, you're, you're heralding a herald, for me herald, now, Harold. With you now,
1: <laughs> that's right.
4: Join the winning side.
0: I like the way you think, Mister Vice President. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. It's just a strange, yeah, strange appreciation of the job of the Herald.
1: But he's like, yeah, okay, I'm professional. I just do what I'm told.
3: And the actor who plays Montjoy, uh, Christopher Ravenscroft, uh, you know, he 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 had just been in a couple of other uh, filmed Shakespeare adaptations, and I I think I'm remembering correctly that he was he was in the Tom Baker Hound of the Baskervilles. Um, but he's he's one of these. English actors who you may have seen in one or two other things but you don't know as well as you know a Brian Blessed right. and Ian Holm and so on uh, but he's it, it, part of it is the writing that they gave him part of it is that they cast this guy and that goes to me for everybody in this movie the really for me is not a weak link in the thing frankly uh, some people don't like uh, just how exuberant David uh, Jacoby uh, 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 Derek Jacoby is oh, but uh, those people I, are wrong those yeah, people are they- very wrong because he he go, that doesn't work as well if you don't f- go yeah, that okay. hard flying over the top. Um, I've seen it know. underplayed
2: and it no no no. It's
3: I mean it's Che and Evita. like you've got to yes. you've got to be smirking <laughs> at what's going on and you know going well this was crazy huh this made a whole lot of sense no it didn't this is a terrible <laughs> idea <laughs> yep. and and Brian blessed uh-huh. you know. Sometimes
2: he can be, well, Brian Blessed. And in this, he is pitch perfect
1: he is he's the he, never dude brian blessed. i know it is maybe Ooh, the most brian calm blessed. yeah i know there there's there's no real moment where he goes completely he, over he the top he the full blessed no, he any doesn't. moment he, and, and he's delightful henry's like, I, alive i, I think I'm... i know i think i know enough about brian blessed that i i the whole time he's on screen i am appreciating that he has not exploded <laughs> Yes, like, look at him, look at him stay contained, look at I him mean, be restrained. Good for
2: you, him. You kind of hope there's like this whole set of outtakes where it's like, Ken, can I do one the way I would like to do it? <laughs> <Just> <laughs> this one is a take. message. Take them away. I promise I will stop calling you Hank Sank if you just let me do one
3: take. Uh, I, I, I enjoy... Everything I've ever, every bit of, of work that I've seen Judy Dench do, but this in that same vein is a beautiful opportunity to see her do something that you are not used to seeing of late, that she has not been doing much of in the last 10 or 15 years, uh, which is she is not the, the, the queen. She is not, you know, the, the grand duchess. She's not the grand dame of anything. Yep. Um, in, in a way, <laughs> you could say, though, she is the grand dame of the boar's head. Um, but and she's just Mistress Quickly. Yeah she's just Mr. Quickly she she's she is she is a she's a a a person of the common people of the mean base common people um and it, it's it's really delightful to get to see her do something that is not generally what people hire Judy Dench to do uh for some time now
1: yeah for sure she's playing like an a Ned Badland kind of part in this right <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I,
0: I i would also like to say for all the uh, uh, Crispin's Day speech and the once more into the breach to your friends once more and all and all that stuff. One of my favorite bits is the bit. It's act two in the play. And it's when uh, uh, Lord Scroop and Gray. Oh, and, the traitors. Uh, the traitors are uh, mm. are are caught. I wish I actually, you know, if I could give Shakespeare some notes. OK. Um, <laughs> No, I, I I really like the play, but I think you need to do more on this because it actually it, it it it's the humanizing of Henry. It 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 shows, hey, he's a he's a guy. He when when he's betrayed, he feels the same. Uh, the same hurts and same uh, anger as the rest of us. And that is the, a, um, it's a great the,
1: move, though, to ask about their the opinions of the people you know to be traitors on mercy for people who do bad things well, just sure. before you <laughs> reveal that you know that they're <laughs> traitors. I, yes. Yeah.
3: Mm. It's I love a, that. It's a full-on full King move. But I yeah, I, I similarly— <laughs> And, and, and
0: Branagh does a very good reading of that. How should we do when capital crimes cross our— Mm-hmm. just the, the reading of that line is so very
3: good. It's played so well because that the first scene that we get with him just before this is him in the throne room and he really does come off as the boy king yeah. and this is him taking that turn into uh uh-uh, uh this isn't your daddy's Shakespearean prince uh, I'm a full on king y'all uh like it, and and that I mean that extends to so much of the movie where it's okay. Well, it starts out and you might be a little bit lost and maybe you're not scanning precisely what Derek Jacobi is shouting through the screen uh, rather quickly, um, but. You you get a feeling for, okay you're on the ride and you're going to you're going to at least pick up from body language and tone and uh, what people are doing, what's going on. Uh, But the the way that that's played, as much as I kind of wish we had gotten a little bit more of the saboteurs um, before they're, you know, they're suddenly gone. um, it, It works. It works. And I feel like if there had been something more there. It would have killed um, the the momentum that the story takes. Like everything that's added in d- does not. It, it is so brief that it doesn't feel like it is weighing us down. Like it's just enough of a glimpse of Henry the Fourth. You know bits of Falstaff. It's just enough of this. Just enough of that. I, if if there had been somewhere to um to uh, to to embellish um I you know I. I don't know that as much as I am wanting more, I think that's because they succeeded in leaving the audience wanting more and not because it would have actually added to it.
1: Yeah. This movie doesn't leave me wanting more, honestly. I think that there's a little too much movie here. And like I said, I think some of that is the end and some of that is that the the battle stuff. You just hate the French. Goes on a bit bit too long. But you know what? Um, It is... I do think it works as an introduction to Shakespeare, to people who haven't seen it. And, and it, it, that's why it kind of has this reputation that it has and kind of the, the magical thing about this, this movie uh, working as a, as a Shakespeare adaptation. What have we not discussed about Henry V, the play or the film or other adaptations or anything that we, uh, that we should talk about before we go? Now is your chance
2: one one touch that i love in this is uh the i mean the music is wonderful patrick doyle has done scores for a lot of barana films and this but was again. his debut this was yeah, the first, this first was movie his he did the very score first. first exactly you yeah i just going to say that and an, a very nice touch is at the very end of the battle when everything is done he's the one who starts the singing of non nobis at the end that's actually patrick doyle in in costume on the battlefield and he's the first soldier singing that. And it's a lovely setting. It's his own setting for it. Which, I mean, there were purists who were like, that's not, that's not the way you sing that. Mm. No, but it's lovely. It's lovely. And and everyone joins in. And and yeah, you're right. That is exactly where most movies would end that, right? That is just that rising, growing chorus of everyone carrying off the dead. But it's, it's just, it's a lovely moment to have him get to start that. You don't see a lot of composers who get to act.
1: He has a uh, he has a cameo in Dead Again too, which is the movie mm-hmm. that Kenneth Branagh made a couple years later. That's a, a Hitchcock homage, which I love. Which is that's so good. I, I, I love I, that's that. That's one movie. of my favorites, and we should talk about it yeah, sometime. Yes. And yes, that's yes, another yes. Branagh and Thompson thing. And, and in fact, listening to this music, I was like, "Oh yeah, this totally." These guys totally made Dead Again two years later. Like there are <laughs> there are shots. There's music that I'm like, mm, "Oh, I see it now. I do see it uh, with with all of these years of uh, of hindsight." Oh, yeah. I
2: mean, you put together – if you sit down and watch Henry V, Dead Again, and Much Ado About Nothing in the course of a week, you will see lots of just little touches that are all echoing one another. I mean, the end end sequence in this, as creepy as Henry's motives are, uh, there's still some of the playfulness of Much Ado About Nothing. Yes. And you you watch that. I mean, in 1989, we're watching it going, they would be really good as Beatrice and Benedict.
0: Well,
1: just wait. They were. And we'll do that in another episode. I yes! love I love that movie oh, Yeah. We will.
0: Will we? We will.
1: Okay. <laughs> well, all right. If we continue with this, if this wasn't all a horrible mistake. What else mm-hmm. what else should we mention that we haven't mentioned?
3: Um, we, we mentioned the humor earlier. And to add on to that, something that I, because uh, people like to categorize Shakespeare's stuff into, oh, the tragedies and the comedies. Uh, it's like, it's like calling somebody a comedic actor or a dramatic actor. You're doing all of it. Uh, all of these shows have drama and have comedy in them in different proportions. And to assume that all of Shakespeare is very stuffy, very elitist, only for academics. Uh yes, it is definitely for academics. It's for everybody. Um I, I think if if you've maybe like maybe you bounced hard off of the Baz Luhrmann Romeo and Juliet and you otherwise just think Shakespeare isn't for you, give and for some reason you've listened to this and haven't watched Henry the fifth, 1989, <laughs> watch Henry the fifth, 1989. Even if you're a little bit lost, uh, that's what everybody is. The first time they interact with one of these 400 year old plays. And if that does something for you, I'm not saying then watch all of Brana's stuff, including Hamlet loves labors lost as you like it. Uh, don't, much. Don't adieu. watch loves labors lost. Uh, yeah, don't, whatever. Um, if 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 Brenna's other stuff turns you off, watch a Midwinter's Tale, which everybody forgets about, but it's about people putting on a production of Hamlet, and it's actually That's pretty good. Very good, good yeah. Um, there there are a lot of different interesting takes on stuff, and the Hollow Crown series, having having come out relatively recently, I mean it's it is a it's a murderer's row of people that you would never get to see play the roles that they're playing um, on stage, just on a lark. You know, you've got Patrick Stewart playing Sir John of Gaunt in Richard II, headlined by Ben Whishaw and Rory Kinnear. Um, People that you may know as supporting actors from various shows on the BBC and ITV and Channel 4, as it's known, uh, over there across the pond. Um, But you, you have these amazing collections of actors playing uh Richard in Richard the II, second, Richard the third, uh all f- six of the Henry plays um and it's it's really it's really quite extraordinary and if you think Falstaff is cool and think Falstaff is neat uh chimes at midnight absolutely um but I I was really uh getting into the Hollow Crown I was like how could Simon Russell Beale be a better uh, Falstaff and Orson Welles or uh, or Robbie Coltrane or the like six other people I've seen play Falstaff. Um, he's really really good in in the Hollow Crown um, you and his know, own I, thing.
2: I, he's not and, he's not doing them either.
3: Yeah, I mean I, I would urge anybody who uh, who who feels like Shakespeare is not for them or is put off of Shakespeare by somebody. First of all, screw those people. Uh, they can go <laughs> lay in the dirt with all of the 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 boys that the French killed. Um, you know, as far as Ouch. I'm concerned, there is mm. some version. Take that France. Take, yeah, take, take that France. Boys. <laughs> yeah, take that boys. <laughs> take that yeah. France. There you um, go being squires. <laughs> there's there's some version <laughs> of Shakespeare for for just about anybody. Stay away from the blackface Othellos. Um, but you know, there, there's a, a modern Coriolanus with Ray Fiennes. Um, you know, there's a super hyper violent Macbeth from about eight years ago. Um, and some of the, the, some of the national theater and Shakespeare's globe, uh, live recorded plays are really, really, really good and really well shot. Hamilton is not the only play that that's been, uh, recorded for people to watch at home over the last 20 years. Um, yeah, I, I. As people have a lot of time to just jump around streaming services, find what you can, rent what you can. I promise it's worth three bucks if it's something that everybody says is really good and worth watching.
2: There's a stupendous uh, Twelfth Night that they did in Central Park a few years ago turned into a musical by Shana Taub, who is fantastic. And I, I think mostly that's in just clips. I don't think the full thing is online anywhere, but just search Central Park Twelfth Night. Oh, it's it's beautiful. It is it is a night of
4: joy, and and I will say uh, if you don't think you like Shakespeare, uh, which is completely valid, maybe you don't like Shakespeare because uh, well, you know no accounting for taste. Uh, but if you haven't read any of the plays, this is where I'm going to put in a plug for. Instead of going to watch a movie, go find <laughs> yourself some text of a play that uh, you can find them on the internet, your don't, local don't library. Do that. They're super easy, read. When you it lo- the and when, when you <laughs> feel lost,
3: bring that book of plays to watch people performing it, and that will help get you through some of the impenetrable impenetrable barrier. That is why people say that they can't read them.
2: And there are there are even some translations. Well, not translations, but there are some where it's you know the facing page has it in plain English, so you can at least. Follow the story if you can't quite follow what
0: Shakespeare or footnotes are that explain what the right. obscure,
3: frankly, I prefer spark notes. Uh, just don't read the plays, just read the spark notes. Spark well, kid. I was
4: going to say that you should find some kind of like spark notes or summary before you read the play if it's your first kind of Shakespeare because you just the plot is not super important, uh, really to the Shakespeare. I mean, it's it's uh. Uh, if you're reading it, you're reading it for the language, right? So read uh, a summary that's in modern English so you can kind of understand what's happening and who the characters are. Uh, and then jump into the Shakespeare, uh, his original words, which once you get used to it, it is not as impenetrable as it seems the right. first time you read it. The first time you read it. You're not going to understand it, which is why you should read the summary before you do it. But uh, you would be surprised at how quickly you pick it up.
2: I'm also fond of going to jiffy.com and typing in Shakespeare and just seeing what comes up. <laughs> okay, that's another way to go. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'd like
0: to just tell to them to meme
2: or not to meme.
0: The people who listen to this podcast, hey, if you fancy yourself a pretentious uh, uh, know it all <laughs> and and obviously you 've listened to this much Shakespeare talk, so uh, kinda um, Kenneth Brenner also directed a not half bad version of the Magic Flute, which is available on oh, Amazon. Yes. And it's in English too, so you don't have to deal with all that uh, all that German, well, that which be is so German. problematic. Yeah, oh, yeah. So... Now you know what they're actually singing in that musical. It's kind of weird. <laughs> <laughs> so right. opera, they do that too. Well, okay,
1: you you've one upped us. Yes. Yeah. Stay tuned for opera club. Opera club. Never,
2: <laughs> ever ever <laughs> coming. Opera,
0: opera club.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Next time on the incomparable La Cenerentola by yep. Rossidi.
1: No, next time it's going to be uh, that Gilligan's Thor. Island episode where they do Hamlet. Anyway, we did Thor. We already <laughs> did that one.
2: To be or not to be? That is the, question, the question that, that is that asked I ask of, of
1: me. The, yes, yeah. mm-hmm, uh, that's the one. Harold Harkuba. I hear the pharaoh-thelia. Um <laughs> All right, well, th- this is our first of the Shakespeare Clubs. Will there be others? Maybe. You'll just have to wait and see, but this one... <laughs> oh,
3: J- Jason, I have ideas.
1: ...is, is complete mm. for now. I feel like there is a lot that we could do here, a lot of good we could put into the world or something like that. Uh, but uh, I'm going to close this one up and thank my panelists, my uh, my uh, players upon the stage. How about that? Dramatist persona is ex- the, word, sure. the, the phrase you're uh, searching for. If you say so. And yeah. uh, they are David J. lore Goodbye. Kenneth, Kenneth, before we go, have I told you about the time I caught a yeti? Where are you going? Come back.
3: Come back. Moises Juyon, thank you. Ah, we in little room confining mighty men. Thank you.
1: Scott McNulty, thank you.
4: I, I feel like uh, we are doing good work highlighting uh, these minor uh, works of this relatively unknown filmmaker and writer. So hopefully people have learned something. It's kind of an, about an obscure sort of author. Mm-hmm. Exactly.
1: And, and obscure films. Uh, and Philip Michaels, thank you. Get it, bull. And uh, thanks to everybody out there for listening to this episode of The Incomparable. We will be back uh, once more into the breach next week.